This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is the show where we explore film series one movie at a time. I'm your host, Gabe Green, and I am here actually present on site with my co-host, James Hammer. What's up, man? Nothing much. You know, just happy to introduce you to this just very incredible uh, recording studio. Uh, all my bells and whistles are in here, so it's a, it's a pretty incredible space. Your bedroom is almost as good as my bedroom, so... Um, so we are currently working our way through the Bourne series, and we are on the fourth film, and the first, or the, the first and only attempt at spinning off the series with the Bourne legacy. Uh, before we talk about that, I want to ask you guys, if you enjoy the show, to please uh, take a moment to go and rate and review us on iTunes, and I'll like us on Facebook to keep up to date with all the latest episodes, and I'll leave feedback that can end up on the show. Um, also, kind of a disclaimer, we, you know, I'm, we're both sharing the same mic, and this is a new recording setup, so... The audio quality probably won't be as good as uh, usual, um, but hopefully our wonderful chemistry in person will make up for that. Barely in it, and you're already insulting my setup. <laughs> well, no, it's just now, now we're both here, we're kind of too, yeah. a little farther away from it, and just... Nice save, I guess. And if I keep... I, I, I'm afraid I'm just be kicking the table the whole time, so if you're rattling, it's me fidgeting and being ridiculous. So on Facebook, we asked what y'all thought of The Bourne Legacy, and uh, MJ Smith said, I don't. Which is honestly kind of true of myself as well. Um, so on Twitter, Danielle Pajak at DP underscore illustration said, I love this one. I actually, lo I actually loved it even more than the Jason Bourne series. I was always sad it never got continued. Jason, <laughs> Aaron Cross and Martha Forever, I think... I think it is because Weiss and Renner are such compelling and charming actors, I was immediately drawn into their stories. Definitely a movie that is underrated. That's a unique dick. Good for you. And then I diving directly into the behind-the-scenes story of this film. Um, so plans for a fourth Bourne film got underway shortly after the release of Ultimatum, and, uh, and initially it was going to be another sequel with Matt Damon. Uh, George Nolfi, one of the writers on Ultimatum, started working on the script, but then he left to make uh, The Adjustment Bureau with Matt Damon, and he was replaced by uh, Josh, Josh the Tumor, um, is that a murder? Is that a murder? Uh, of the 2014 uh, Robocop remake and uh, Patriot, uh, Patriot State, which is a movie that I quite like. That continued in development for a few years, uh, uh, but after Paul Greengrass opted to not direct another Bourne sequel, Matt Damon said that he wasn't interested in one without Greengrass, project, the continuing of the direct sequel project kind of fizzled out. Um, but then in summer of 2010, it was announced that Tony Gilroy would be returning to the franchise to write the next movie with his brother Dan. Uh, Dan Gilroy is behind such films as uh, Nightcrawler and uh, Velvet Buzzsaw. Uh, then later it was confirmed that Tony Gilroy would also be the directing the film as well as writing it. Um, and it was going to be titled The Born Legacy, which is the title of the 2004 novel that uh, mm -hmm. Eric Van Lusbader uh, that was his first installment in the series, uh, the first of like twelve or something. Wow! And but it's that that novel is actually still about Jason Bourne. Like the Aaron Cross character is a creation of Tony Gilroy for this movie. And then it was after Matt Damon learned that Universal was going forward with another Bourne film without him or Greengrass that he went on you know his rant on uh, to EQ that we talked about in our Ultimatum episode. 
it's interesting listening to, to just reading interviews and listening to Tony Gilroy talk about this. It is because he doesn't he doesn't seem to actually really like how the movies turned out. Um, here's a quote from him. He said, you know, it's perpetually astonishing to me. He said of his return to the series, it just does no good to get into the history of all this stuff, which is one chapter away from being a book long after everybody's dead. And I can only say it's a, been a highly entertaining, very painful, very profitable, very wild ride. Um, like it's a, he, he thought he was completely, he wanted to be out after Supremacy. They pulled him back, you know, a bit for Ultimatum. That didn't go so well, or if Matt Davis to be believed. And then he was gone, and then Universal got him to come back again with his brother. And there's another quote talking about, you know, about coming back. He said, it was extremely, extremely important to me when I came on. I didn't come on until the rules were that Matt was gone, and uh, that Matt was gone, and that Paul was gone, um, and that there was no Jason Bourne. That was the given when I had the first conversation about this. So it was very important to me, extremely important to me, that everything that had happened before was well be well preserved and be enhanced if possible in what we were doing. So he seemed to be very intent on maintaining the integrity of the series that came before him. Just and not even he didn't, just did not want to touch the character of Jason Bourne again. Yeah, so like you said, since uh, Matt Damon was out and was you know pretty specifically stating he was only ever going to return with Greengrass and Greengrass not being on board, they uh, obviously had a new character. Um, they were talking about you know this isn't. There were quotes from Gilroy where he was saying this isn't uh, Bond or anything. You know, I'm not going to reboot. Uh, so he was you know like you said, we're we're not touching Born, we're not recasting, we're not rebooting. So we had to create a new lead. Um, and so the lead role ended up going to Renner, who was looking to be like a pretty hot actor at those point uh, at that point in time, because uh, that year you had uh, Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol coming on, where he was supposed to be taking over as Ethan Hunt, uh, teasing him and Thor, and then you know I think he was filming the Avengers at that at that point. So oh, there was wow, I never I knew about I was I, I always thought about Mission Impossible and Legacy, but oh yeah, the Avengers as well. Yeah, so he was like he was. In a lot of things, and for all, I mean, as far as anybody knew at the time, he was going to be like this next big star. Uh, but then, of course, he didn't take over for Mission Impossible. This kind of flopped, and people wrongfully dismiss Hawkeye, despite he him being He's the best. Avenger. I love Hawkeye. Anyway, so he gets the role of uh, Aaron Cross, uh, our new lead, uh, joining him. This is a there's a, some crossover. Uh, in the other Bourne films, but there's a largely new cast. Uh, Rachel Weisz as Dr. Marta Shearing, uh, Ed Norton as Eric Beyer, Stacey Keach as Mark Turso, uh, Dennis Boutsikaris uh, as Terrence Ward, uh, Oscar Isaac as Outcome Number 3, who I had no idea was in it. Um, returning, we have Joan Allen as Pamela Landy, uh, Albert Finney as Dr. Albert Hirsch, David Strathern as Noah Vosen, uh, Scott Glenn as Ezra Kramer, uh, and then some of the other newer characters, Donna Murphy as Dita Mandy, Michael Chernis as Arthur Ingram, Corey Stoll as Zev Vendel, uh, Zeshko Ivanek as Dr. Donald Foyt, uh, who is just chilling in this, uh, Shane Jacobson as Mackie, Elizabeth Marvel as Dr. Connie Dowd, John Douglas Thompson as General Paulson, um, Luis Ozawa Chengchin as Lark's number three, uh, uh, Corey Johnson as Ray Willis, Michael Barris as Leonard, 
Joan Arcia as Joseph, and Lou Velosa as Captain. Um, so the film was shot uh, by Roger Ellswit, who had worked with Gilroy on his previous two films. Uh, we've mentioned him before on the podcast because of his work on the Mission Impossible series, where he shot uh, Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation. Um, this is the first in the series not to be shot by Oliver Wood. It was shot primarily at the Kaufman Astoria Studios in New York. Uh, location shooting was also done in the Philippines and South Korea and a bit in Alberta, Canada. And aside from the aforementioned difficulties at the start, it seems to have been a fairly smooth production without too much drama, at least not drama that is known. Uh, for the film's score, uh, this was not scored by John Powell, uh, as the previous were. Uh, though, it's not really a downgrade because it's uh, this one got James Newton Howard. Uh, a new version of Moby's Extreme Ways was also recorded for this film's ending credits. Uh, the film had its premiere in New York on July 30th, uh, 30th 2012, uh, and then premiered in North America on August 5th, or August 10th, 2012. So, James, this was your first time... Oh, no, I seen it. Yeah, this is the very, okay. very first one I'd ever seen. An only one. Yep. For a long time. Um, so, actually, we're both one so far. So, <laughs> what was your first experience with this film, and have your thoughts on it evolved or changed at all since then? Uh, so, my very first viewing, I have very little memory of it. I know... I I was with my dad, I think my brother and my cousin, and we were just kind of like, it was it was just a, a nothing day. We just had time to kill and figured, let's just see if there's an action movie playing, you know, just something that'd be fun for us to go see. And this was playing, and I, so I think my dad and my brother had seen all of the Bourne movies, but I know I hadn't. So this was, yeah, this is my very first, so everything at the beginning, like, I'm like, I don't know who this Bourne guy is. I don't know what, what everybody's freaking out about, but... I guess if this has cool action, I'll, I'm, I'm down. Um, and I remember being like, even as... When, when did this come out? 2012. 20, oh, that's right. <laughs> I literally just gave the date. Um, so I would have been... What was that? 17, I guess. Uh, so I was kind of like prime age for this, but I, I just remember being mildly entertained for the two hour runtime and then never really thinking about it again. <laughs> like I just remember during, during the end, you know, this motorcycle chase going on, I'm like, I mean, some of this is cool, but I, I don't know any, like we're coming to the end and I really don't care about any of these people or what happens or part of that is because I, you know, I was unaware of the larger context, but uh, I don't know. I just, I remembered it being a, uh, just a serviceable way to spend two hours and with a rewatch, that's mostly stayed the same. Uh, I don't outright dislike this. Uh, and we were talking after after I had finished the movie. Um, it, I was saying it, it like it, there are definitely individual moments that I think are like really strong. Um, but it's just even like especially now with the context of the original trilogy, I, I spend most of my time in this film liking different pieces that are set up but waiting for things to get pulled together into like a cohesive mate like this is this is why you care here but the movie never brings it like just, it never comes together fully mm -hmm. um i think part of the strength of the trilogy and you know like I, I brought up that i felt like they were derivative at times but something that i i think is a strength of theirs is that uh they have a very strong identity pun uh mm -hmm. but like they they're they're simplistic in their story and they carry themselves all three of them carry themselves with just 
a whole lot of confidence. And so it's, it opens up, here's Bourne's mission, here's what's going on. And it's just really like competently shot action sequences with like, you know, interesting character. Like they just, they move and flow really well. And this, it feels like there's different ideas kind of circling around the movie, but I don't know. It just, it doesn't have, it doesn't find its own voice, I feel like. And it's, that's what's going to keep it from like, I don't know, being, that's, that's what kept it from being considered the same way we, we think about the trilogy. Yeah, so I, I watched, I probably saw it in like 2013. I didn't catch it in theater. I saw it, I saw it at home. Um, and I remember liking, I, thought, I was thinking that the reviews might have been a little over harsh. I, like, I didn't like it nearly as much as the previous ones. It was like, it was like a you know, solid three-star film. And I really haven't thought much about it since. And then, so for this rewatch, I think, I think my estimation went down just a little bit because the first time I could was at least, you know, you're on, for, you're along for the ride. You know, you're, you're kept, you're still guessing, you're, you're, you're just catching up with it. Whereas on the second viewing, you kind of, you know where it's going. So you're watching for like story and themes and character arcs. And it was in this viewing that I realized, oh, wait, there's none of that in this movie. Um, so yeah, that's, let's just start there. James, what is this movie about? I don't know. <laughs> Aside from Ken's. It's about Ken's, yeah. but what do they mean for the human experience? <laughs> yeah, I... It's... Another strength of the original trilogy is they were just so focused on a singular character and a singular point of view. And with each subsequent film we're returning to this guy that we already care about. I, and in, I, we covered it in Ultimatum that it feels like by the end of that one, there is uh, somewhat of a, you know, a commentary going on about like the, just the, the, the state of, of surveillance and, and security versus freedom and all of this. And I, you, you asked before we recorded, uh, I think before we watched it, you said one of the questions that you wanted to ask was, uh, what is an idea for like a, just a good, what, what, what does it take to make a good spinoff of the Bourne movies? And I feel like part of it is just an interesting new idea. And I think this movie thinks that the chems are that, that like almost going sci-fi with it. But don't, don't call it sci-fi and Tony Gilroy's hearing no. He's, I watched, I like read and listened to several interviews where he was adamant. This is not sci-fi. This tech, they're researching. Like this is coming soon. Like this is real. Well, like, first of all, Mister Gilroy, that's what science fiction is. <laughs> like more often than not, it's no. Uh, well, anyways, it's sci-fi. I'm sorry. Is the science fact right now? Or do we have no? Therefore, it is sci-fi. But anyways, I feel like the movie thinks that that's it, but. Like, that's a new plot element, but that's not a new thematic... Like, there could be a new thematic element tied to that. You know, there the idea that, of... That, that, that one quote from Oscar Isaac, when they talk, wolves usually don't chase people. Maybe they don't think you're human. Like, they could have gone in that direction. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's... You could introduce this new element of the plot and then find new themes to play with their new ideas. But it feels less like an idea to be explored in more of a, wouldn't it be cool if guys were stronger and smarter? Let's write this. 
you know, I, I'm not saying it was as, you know, frivolous as that whenever they were writing this, but it, yeah, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel like it attaches itself to that idea nearly enough for me to be like, this is what this movie is about. And like you could, the first film was born, well, he's trying to find his identity, you know, rediscovering who he is and, and realizing he doesn't like that and leaving it behind. Second film is, you know, starts as a, a going for revenge uh, for, what's the, what's her name? Maria? Yeah. Maria. And then, and then yeah, that, that turning that into a search for redemption. And third film is like going back to the beginning and also bringing the war back to the CIA and trying to bring him down. Like each, there's a story, you know, there's a plot, but also it, it mean, each, the journey means something for Bourne as a character and also some of the characters around him. Here, the journey is, I have to viral out off my chems so that I am not dependent on them. That's, that is the movie. And there is nothing else below that. I guess, yeah, there's, Gilroy really likes this kind of bureaucratic, just diving into corrupt bureaucracies and these very po political machinations, and and you can tell that he's he's trying to do something with Ed Norton's character and just the idea of we have to you know cut it loose, burn it to the ground, pretend it never happened, you know, uh, cut our losses, and like. And I was thinking, like, if there was going to be a good Bourne spinoff, I think it would have to be something like something from the CIA side. Like, otherwise, like, otherwise, it's literally bringing in a Jason Bourne, you know, a Jason Bourne clone. Well, which is what they did with Aaron Cross. So it's just another agent, super, you know, really good on the run, people in boardrooms chasing after. Him. Like, it's they're really just playing a lot of the same beats with Aaron Cross that they do with Jason Bourne, and he's just not as interesting. So. I feel like they would have had it, just the number one of Born spinoffs isn't a good idea because they're really about this one man and you know the unique position he's in being an amnesiac. Um, so I guess like the only interesting thing would be like a, a fixer character like Ed Norton working within the system. I don't know, but, but then again, that's what we, we got kind of the, the mix, we got the Born ripoff and also the the bureaucracy story, and neither fully works. I feel. Like, I thought they should have committed to one. Just be a dumb, fun, born knockoff. Do the action. Do the things, and and do, and but actually commit to that. Be the goofy, you know, born ultimatum style action film, or be the corporate drama. And they tried to do both, and neither side works at all, in my opinion. In the end, yeah, and it it stinks because now, you know, this was their chance with Norton and this character, and something that I. Like, I, I agree with you in that, like, neither side really works fully, um, which is unfortunate because I really like Ed Norton in this. Mm -hmm. uh, what's what's funny is that I remember one of my questions at the end of uh, Ultimatum was, like, what, what makes this definitive? What keeps, like... It made me feel like how I did at the end of Rise of Skywalker. And like, well, why why should I uh -huh. celebrate when the precedent's been set that we just take this a little bit higher? Well, at least that, that, that I had that the problem of escalation. Like, at least by the end of Ultimatum, they brought it back to the director of the CIA. But now, <laughs> we're we're not so much t escalating it, taking a step up. We're just taking a step sideways to another okay. guy who. Here's the thing: Do you have any idea? 
who Edward Norton is and what his role is? Uh, no, apparently he is a, a retired Air Force colonel or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but you read that off Wikipedia. Exactly. Like, like he's That's... not introduced, like, what's his role? Who is he? What? Like, he's, you can tell he's, like, some kind of a fixer, not affiliated with the CIA, but he's, like, he's just so, here. And so, we're talking, I don't know who he is or what he's about. Reading, I forget where I read it, but reading it, there's some something that's detailing his character. Apparently, he is, like... The top, like, whenever all of these, like, Treadstone, Blackbriar, Blackbriar, all of this stuff, outcome, he's the guy at the very, very top of all of it. This is, this whole thing, everything under this umbrella really? belongs to him. Really? Because it feels like he's coming in from the outside. Because, like... Which, so it explains he's retired. Like, he set all uh, this stuff up, and he kind of left the game, and now he's bring, being brought back to fix it. Which is not in the movie, but what I, what I read... Uh, and yet, none of that is really explained. And and so it's, again, it's just, we keep getting further and further, like, we keep seeing people claim ownership over all of these with each new movie. Next one is the president. Exactly. Chairman of the UN. There you go. And who else? Uh, the, the secret cabal behind them. Illuminati. George Soros or something. <laughs> uh, but anyways, so yeah, like his character is very ill-defined, but... With all of the problems with his character on the table, I still really like Norton in this. There's You get a sense of just... In the previous ones, you get a sense of desperation and paranoia and like, I, I can't let this get out there or else it's going to ruin me. And, and those same kind of stakes are here. But I love that he just feels tired and annoyed this whole time. Like he's being brought back in and he's like, listen, I get it. It sucks. We don't want to have to do this. Nobody wants to start back from scratch. But... It's just like it's it's the way it's got to be. Like I love how also he doesn't really have any stakes. He's like, this is what you have to do, yeah. or else you're gonna get burned. I'm yeah. okay either way. And there's just something about that that kind of attitude that I found like surprisingly uh, compelling in a character that really has no weight at all. Uh, it's all all in the performance because these same lines could probably be said with a whole different attitude, and it completely changes the character. But there's. His, it just his whole attitude, I really, really liked a lot, and I, I love the 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 scene where we're introduced to him, and the camera's panning over like Blackbriar, Treadstone, and then we see all of these additional ones, and they're reading through this, and he's got that line. I should have written it down, but whenever Corey Stoll keeps like looking over and asking these questions, and he just has that monologue about like, don't look at anything that's not where you're like, forget Jason, blah blah blah, blah. and he's he the delivery is just incredible, and it's like. Mm-hmm. Just drop it. We're here to do something. Get over it. If you're not, if you're not down for that, get out. Yeah. But like, I just, yeah, I, I love his demeanor, uh, and it just it saddens me that he's wasted on this character because I really weirdly like this performance a lot. And there's another kind of monologue he has is in a flashback where I guess oh. he was uh, Aaron Cross's handler. Yeah, I did write that line down. Do you know what a sin sin eater is? Well, that's what we are. We're the sin eaters. It means that we take the moral excrement that we find in this equation and we bury it deep down inside of us so that the rest of our, our cause can stay pure. That's the job. We are morally indefensible and absolutely necessary. That last line is and my favorite. I like that, That's kind of what I'd say Brian Cox was... Well, he was also corrupt and like money-grubbing, but like that was the, the idea that like, this is just, you know, I don't care about the morality. This is what has to be done, you know, for national security or whatever. Noah Vos was kind of like that. He's like the most clear example like where those two guys were so obviously scheming and corrupt where as far as we can tell, aside from being a really bad dude and a murderer, 
he doesn't seem to be particularly corrupted. He's just, well, aside, like, he's morally corrupt, but, like, technically within, within yeah. the framework of the CIA government, whatever, whatever agency he is from, he seems to be morally upright within the corrupt system kind of thing. Yeah, and if there were an idea that this was about, I feel like that could have been interesting, is that last line that I really attached, like, found myself attached to was a guy just saying plainly to the guy under him, we are morally indefensible and absolutely necessary. And put, like, put us in a situation where that actually means something, like where you have to do something horrible, but also, look, those 50 people would have been dead if you yeah. hadn't. And so I feel like... Which we, we come into the tail end where something like that happened. We don't know exactly what in the flashback. Yeah. But, and uh, that's the thing, like, my part of, like, my favorite thing about supremacy was born having to reconcile the fact that this was him, you know, and this this has continued an ultimatum. Like this was, he knew what was going on, and he, of his own volition, joined this, and he has to live with the idea of like that's what I did. But you get to alleviate a bit with those films because of the amnesia. You know, you get you get to attach yourself to Bourne so much easier because. He's mimicking your reactions. He's horrified at what he's done. He has no memory of it. So it's very easy to make that make a protagonist out of that. What could have been way more interesting is, you know, Renner is not an amnesiac. He knows what he's done. He he knows what he's capable of. He's still conscious that he like he's these are decisions not that he made in what feels like another lifetime. These are decisions he's remembered. And that could have been an interesting idea to explore is Make your make your protagonist more immediately culpable of these things, and fought, like craft a story around that idea. That that's just it makes that flashback really confusing to me because the ideas of that flashback, which are really compelling, feel almost entirely absent from the rest of the film. Yeah, he, there's the, the the soul of the. Born series was the conflict in Born as a character where he's a perfect killing machine who doesn't want to kill anymore. Renner as a character has no problem with killing. He kills several people. He has and he doesn't he doesn't blink or lose a second of sleep about it. And he doesn't feel at all bad even about the worst missions that went wrong in the past. So it's like so the entire that entire moral moral conflict and component that was at the heart of Born is completely absent from his character. Also, like he doesn't want anything outside of just his immediate physical need of, you know, chems, which is like the equivalent of having a movie about someone trying to find dinner. Like, I need food to live. So, there's your drama. Um, yeah, there's there's no arc for the character because the motivation is it's a plot point. It's not a character develop like a, a moment of growth. And like the only character, like this isn't Ren Renner is trying. So he's got like this kind of like his only characteristic is he's kind of snarky and pushes at the rules for reasons like he took four, like he went AWOL for four days and he crossed the mountains and he's hiding his pills but why because I guess he's a rebel yeah and I don't get that at all because you you get the idea that these guys are all like brainwashed and uh, just hardened and conditioned to like play it by the rules entirely. Um, which is why, like, it was incredible that Bourne was able to, like, get him, like, bring himself to not 
kill the kill the guy in front of her, like you know this inciting incident for identity. But he just for what he's at, like, and he's higher. This is not Treadstone where it's just oh yeah we got assassins. This is like they stress the idea that, like these scientific breakthroughs are game changing, and he's just either like ah whatever I'm I'm a wall I'm I'm the cool guy in the crowd like it's that whole as much as I I. I'm a Renner fanboy. I, I really like what he brings to roles. Even when it's kind of a nothing role like this, I still enjoy spending time with him as an actor. Um, and so I kind of like his personality. It's just in the context of the film, it makes no sense. And like he's not even that likable a person. He's kind of a jerk to Oscar Isaac. And like the first time he meets Mar- 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 Marta, she's traumatized and people just try to kill her. He's like, and he just walks up, yo, Doc, where are my cams? He's just yelling at her. And then he's just going, you know, I got a plan. It's not that complicated. I'm going to wait for the next person to show up to kill you and maybe they can help me. Like, that's our hero. And which is fine. Okay, that could be interesting exploring someone who's an assassin and doesn't mind it. But this is the good guy and they, well, this is a, a Gilroy film, so maybe he's not, he's trying, he's, I'm, I'm assuming he's trying to escape any kind of moral simplicity, but then, but, but also, then there's, there's no moral complexity to him because there's no conflict, there's no, there's like, what, what are the questions being asked? Yeah. And yeah, if you're trying to create moral complexity and like make more, like, we just got to, like, great, great characters on either side, you don't end your movie sailing your, like, morally gray characters off on a boat you know like you know who's a, good, a happy ending what the character should have been like josh brolin from sicario something like that mm. sicario is like the go-to for me for any sort of like here's all the politically gray mucky stuff of the world yeah i think uh, <laughs> taylor sheridan could have done something interesting i think they would have definitely been more preachy and more opinionated than something Gilroy would deliver, which would, you know, that that's that would be moving away from what the Bourne series is. You know, the Bourne series is kind of much more personal than political, but you, you need some kind of point of view. Yeah. And uh, then you take advantage of being a spinoff, you know, like explore mm-hmm. a different, be willing to explore something more like that. Than, something I was thinking of too, just if we're just talking about the character of um, Cross, I so a moment that I again I really like Renner's performance. Whenever we're do, like seeing the video and he's all bruised up and bloody, I think his performance there is super good. But what's the context? Is that like that's the, like the writing? There's just there's nothing there. But when he's saying you know, like this is a test, like if I pass, do I get to stay? You're like do you want to stay? Yes. Like he, why you feel again? It's it's weird. It's like there, there's pieces and it, here. It, what is it's at the end? It's at the, this is the emotion. This is Aaron Cross's emotional climax for the film. It's like it's doing the thing where at the end of the film he gets some memories back and has an emotional catharsis. Except we just don't know enough about any of these choices for it to or like who he is, where he is, what does he know at the time? Like, and so I was thinking like. Given the pieces that we have here, like how do you craft an interesting character around it? And I feel like you know you you have a man who who doesn't have the benefit, like the the moral benefit for the viewer of amnesia. He's aware of what he's what he's done. You've got the flashback introducing this idea of like we are the sin eaters. You know we we do just wildly immoral things because we have to. Uh, 
which is an interesting idea. And then you have a character who just wants to be here. So I, I feel like you could have created somebody who just has, who, who's just driven and needs a purpose and has life, like just life outside of this is nothing. And then maybe find him years down the road, which this is set, you know, years after all that's gone on, years down the road, like having to really wrestle with the idea that like, in my attempt to find purpose and drive and a place to find an identity, I'm just, I've morally corrupted myself to my core. And so you have, you have the guilt, you have the conscious choosing be, and it's the, the cost of it. The, the, the reason you were willing to pay was because you needed an identity like you needed something to be a part of, and building off that, like, what if like he 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 had tr- truly bought into, you know, Edward Norton's sand eater logic, and now all of a sudden, w- w- upon realizing that they're coming after him, you know, seeing what happened, you know, with you know the murders at the lab, seeing them come after Marta, he realized, oh wait, all we're here to do is you know cover some politicians' ass. That's all we are yeah. actually, and none of it was actually morally necessary. And I'm just the tool of some corrupt fat cat, and like how that could be his his struggle. Um, I don't know. That's just spitballing, but something. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's the thing. We can spitball because if something sticks, then it is that then something has stuck, and that's more than than the movie can say because yeah. there's nothing to the character. Like, yeah, like I, he's good. He's physical and. Uh, like he's he's likable enough, even though the character itself isn't very likable. And like Rachel Vice as Marta, she likes science. She really likes science. Aside from that, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I, I I I'm not gonna take away your enjoyment. Whoever wrote in with the positive re- review, like I wish I liked it, and I'm glad people yeah. like it. Like that's that's super cool. It's just for me, the disconnect is I I didn't find either character fascinating at all and I I didn't feel any sort of like chemistry between yeah, the two they, either there's that's the big unfortunate there's no chemistry between them you think about like Matt Damon and uh Frank Potente or even him and uh what's what Julius Julia Stiles yeah. they have really good chemistry it's like super awkward but it's intentionally so like it kind of makes it endearing they, they, them two together like they're not they're both obviously fantastic actors but I don't. Yeah, I don't feel any connection because, like, and they, everything around their uniting is circumstantial, and that can She's be got fine. His That's the thing. Like, that can be fine if you want to bring your characters together that way. But then you have to find something outside of that. And the thing is, any bonding they have is exclusively like the oh yeah, we were both there whenever like people were shooting, and so like there's what what made him and Mar- or um born and maria such uh like such a good dynamic in especially in that first one is despite the fact that yes what brought them together was circumstantial you have a character who has no human contact who has like he is a blank slate and his interactions with her represent social interaction in general like this is the only person he's able to really communicate with and so his template for what a relationship is and what building a relationship with a person is is entirely based off of her here it's yeah they're they're nothing characters who are brought together for circumstantial reasons and whose motivations are 
wildly different. I don't really know. Like, he's kind of forcing her along the ride. But he's kind of helping, you know, because she's, she's being tracked down. So she has stakes and, you know, she needs to... She needs a way to get out, and he's selling her on the mission by like, oh, my IQ is nothing without these chems, so if you want to be able to live, it's it's up to me, and if it's up to me, then I have to have this. It's all just, again, it's plot point and plot point. It's not, here's how we're growing as characters, and so we're, we're here stealing, we're here viraling out just because, you know, I, I've got to keep us, a, you know, in fighting shape or whatever. It's it's It's... There's nothing to these people and why they're actually together and what's going on. And something I liked about the Bourne series is I portrayed the assassins as kind of like maladjusted dorks. Just really lonely people who were kind of pathetic despite the, <laughs> the skills to kill you in many different ways. But Granner's performance, and this obviously goes to Gilroy's writing direction, he's just a normal dude who's perfectly happy with his life and doesn't need anyone else. And ha- you know, he doesn't he just seems like he's, you, you meet him on the street, he seems completely well-adjusted, except that he kills people, which means nothing to him. Um, yeah, and like there was a, a shred of, I think, what could have been developed into an arc for Marta. Um, you know, when they're in the car, she's like, is that your name? Like, James? What? No, that's not my name. Really? You've seen each other 14 times, you don't know my name? Like, if, if she, like, and he talked about, like, you knew what you were doing, you knew what this was, and she's like, she she's trying to deny any moral culpability. Like if the film had kind of brought it back to her, where she she knew what was happening, but she kept her head down. She knew that, you know, that this kind of human experimentation was morally cor- wrong, but she but she just you know tried to kick it upstream. Like you know, it's not my call. I'm just I'm just here for the science. Like if they brought that back, where she was feeling some kind of moral culpability, like the way like Nikki was in um, in Ultimatum. Like, you know, <laughs> like again, this, this is the thing. You'll, you'll be just copying probably things done better in Ultimatum, but at least you'd have a story. Yeah. Uh, and and you've got the like the pieces to be doing that with Cross as well, like we said, where he's he's aware of the moral culpa- culpability he has. And so maybe if they were using that idea here, he could be he could be accusing her of this and then she has this kind of moral reckoning. And then in seeing her own moral reckoning, it it causes something in him. Like that you could you could play both characters off each other in that way because there is, they're both operating in a very gray area. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and the, the only other character I feel like I have to mention is Mark Terso, Stacy Keach. But even like he does, I feel like he doesn't really get his due. Like he's his his opening scene has an amazing line. You're like Ezra, you were given a Ferrari and your people treated it like a lawnmower. You break it, you bought it. It was ever thus. <laughs> but like okay, that he's like he starts out like just trash-talking the director of the CIA, and then he's kind of just Edward Norton's lackey for the rest of the film. Like, what's his deal? That, yeah, I don't know his position either. Like, I don't know what's going on. I, something that the other three did really well is keep track of position and authority and hierarchy. Yeah. And there's none of that here. It's just other people, like, trying to lord power over each other. And it's like, I, well, who's... Who who should be doing this? I don't know your titles. Uh-huh. One, I think one the one thing this film does have going for it, it has some pretty decent action sequences and some pretty de- decent sequences of tension. Like, I I think you can tell some of the limits of Gilroy's direction. I think like like the the drone sequence, like it's pretty limp. Like I feel like like there's some moments where he 
just it's not entirely fair to comparing him to guys like Lyman or Greengrass, who I think are just excellent action directors, particularly Greengrass, who just crafts these sequences that are just so perfectly wound tight and thrilling. So like his sequences, they're all pretty good. I do feel like they don't there's not always a story being told, but I was thinking about that, um just like the uh Tangier's chase in the ultimatum where it just feels like there's this perfect winding story with the rises and falls. Like Action should be a story, whereas I feel like his action sequences, they're fun action sequences, but they don't entirely feel like in, like many stories in and of themselves. It's like, oh, now we pause and we have action. And sometimes it's really good action. Um, like, oh gosh, I, I feel terrible praising the lab shooting sequence because mm. it's horrifying and obviously the new, and the, this movie came out less than a month after the uh, Aurora um, Dark Knight Rises shooting, James Holmes. Um, and so like, I remember, I remember, I didn't see it at the time, but I remember a lot of the conversation around the film, like, oh my gosh, that scene was so disturbing. And what is this, six, seven, seven years later? Yeah, it's really, really disturbing. And I think like this is, and I think Gilroy really should be praised for the way he just, he doesn't, he, he does nothing to make it fancy. It's 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 so mundanely put together, and that is why it's so effective. It's just simple. There's no cool shots. There's no, not there's nothing fancy about it. It's just these basic shots of watching people being murdered by their coworker, and it's horrifying. Um, yeah, you, there's almost that uncomfort in just being like, oh, and he did this so well, and but I mean, it the thing the sequence is incredibly well done. Um, it's weird. I, as it was going on, up to this point, I was thinking like I'm having a pretty good time with this movie. It's not great, but whatever. This thing happened, and I felt so caught off guard that like I was kind of like clenching my fists as I watched it, just holding my breath, not out of just like this excitement, but just like kind of almost this being horrified at what I'm seeing. I've never been involved in a situation like this, but it still, it feels like it's shot with a disturbing sense of reality. Like he spends a lot of time showing reactions and just following the characters. With slowly, yeah. Playing with perspective and where we're seeing him from. And uh, something that really just is, is unsettling is like the confusion in the coworkers of just, you know, like he's, freaking out like that he's shooting out the place he's nobody knows what's going on why it's going on you're just panicking you're ducking for cover you're you're finding some way to try to survive and the tension is just ratcheted up because we, we're cutting to the other people on the other side trying to get in there and again it's it's not this action movie scene of like we've got a bypass or whatever it's just like you've got regular looking lab guys and like everybody who has the keys are in there. Like there's, there's no way we can get in. And then you've got normal looking security guards and you're like, he broke off the door. I don't know what to like. It feels scary and how real it feels. And it's so uncomfortable to watch. He's just, it's this merciless, slowly, just slowly gunning down very regular people. It's not cinematic. It's not movie. Like it's not flashy. It's just really uncomfortable to watch. And I have, like, you have to admit, like, this is just an incredibly well done sequence. And the, the actor, Zeljko Ivanek, is just terrifying. And he's he's not he's 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 playing it very low. It's just, 
it's almost it's just in how dispassionate it is it makes it so much more scary um getting back to some complaints like i feel like we should like we had a previous scene with him where he was just a totally normal likable like he was friends with her in the office like what does it take to turn a man from that to kill you know, just kill all his friends like is he hypnotized like is he blackmail like and the the film just doesn't even think to 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 explore what brought him there and i, I think an issue i have with this film is that i don't believe for one second that the cia of the born identity where the entire program was one out of you know seven people on big box computers in a closet have I don't, these are not the people who are going to just cut out, you know, six top of the line agents, also just murder an entire lab full of people for, for you know, for kicks and giggles. Like, they felt low, they felt low staff, they felt like under, under budget, they felt like assets were valuable. Like, we have one in, you know, we have one in Rome and one in Paris. And those are, you know, that's our Europe. So we can fly him in, but like I feel like as the series went on, you know, they it got bigger and bigger and bigger. The resources got more, and we lost something. We're like, oh, we can just we can just write off six super soldier assassins and you know an entire you know, our entire lab core. I feel the the series of the born supremacy and the born identity, they would have been you know that that program would have been cut, but the assets, the resources would have been allocated somewhere else. Um, it's just this is it's a little quibble, but I feel like. It loses some of the realism, and it feels more like an action movie kind of thing. Where oh, we'll just we'll just look, like just cut off mil tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of resources and training because if you don't want to get because because we found a picture or a video of two people together. That was something that didn't really bother me because so I, I feel like the complaint is is mimicking like the, the whatever military guy he's meeting with in that diner. And and I, I don't know the guy's name. He's in it a lot. He's what is he? he's the director of. He's not. Uh, who is he? There's like the, a fourth guy we've talked about, Ed Norton, and <laughs> I, I don't know. Man. Well, he's uh, anyways. He's he's the guy something, who's something all, outcome. Yeah, he he's the one who's like, what we can't do this because of a video like. I feel like he's like mirroring all of these complaints, but that was part of what I did like about Ed Norton's character is like in here, like in hearing the people say this, this is millions of dollars. This is all like, this is years of work, blah, blah, you know, raising all of these complaints. I kind of like that you have the character of Ed Norton. who's just like, yeah, it sucks. We'll save our data and we'll start new. Like there, I wish I could say something else. I wish I could say that we'll save it in a more meaningful way, but We'll retain all of the research and the infrastructure, but every like everybody's got to go. We we've got to burn it up so nobody can find anything. So I, I kind of like that. But also, why like try like we I get Blackbriar was a problem because they were killing U.S. citizens, but there's what why what what is the dirty little secret aside from the fact that two people were friends? What is the secret they're hiding with outcome? I I feel like the all all of the various programs. I, I, I get that they don't want they they think it's bad publicity if they if this program 
is seen to be in affiliation with another program. But seriously, it's the freaking CIA. Everybody knows everybody. Like, I don't... The, like, if you're going to kill everybody who ever met with, uh, you know, uh, Albert Finney's character, you're burning down half the CIA. So it felt like it wasn't so much just anybody who knew about anything, but it was more... To me, it felt more like, who who is our staff here? How can we erase, like the records of it because you can have somebody meeting the people or even like involved in an informal way but anybody who's got name on paper i feel like is is what they were after um but you just oh, no. I'm, yeah. I'm nitpicking but it's just i i probably wouldn't do this in a better better film but this is what i'm thinking about <laughs> watching the action film so deal with it yeah. For me, I kind of yeah, I just I, I like the idea that there was a character who's like, oh yeah, it, it all sucks. It, it's millions of dollars. It's years of work. Burn it all down. We'll mm-hmm. start over. Uh, my issue with the the guy. So I, the ex- explanation they get is we're dealing with chemical stuff. They they did something to him. They chemical like they changed something in this guy because we have the technology now to make him go in there and do all of that. Um, what? Who we talking about? The the guy who shoots up the place, oh, like whenever controlled. Yeah, like because she's talking to the people who are there to kill her, and that was something that kind of surprised me was she was just willing to say like she's just told this is a psychiatrist and she's like, do you understand what I'm telling you? I'm telling you I work in like biochemical engineering and we're engineering he like this is insane like this is a psychiatrist who's supposed to make sure you're like okay in the head and you're just spilling your guts on all of this like top secret research and stuff also the amount i felt like the previous again going back to the previous born films the cia people felt like normal people and to kill if they had to kill someone they would call in and ask an assassin that this is what they're there for you know that's why they have the jason borns like the amount of people in this film who are perfectly willing to just shoot an innocent person is very high and it's like, like these are friends, coworkers, innocent people—they you know, people they know are innocent—and they're just their whole teams of people willing to just assassinate them in cold blood. Whereas I felt like in the previous ones, you actually like, why do you even need the assassins if you've got yeah. you, you, you know, this uh, you know, this lady and her two op gunmen? Uh, yeah, but, but, but that brings us to the farmhouse scene. That's a pretty decent sequence. Uh, one of those gunmen is David Leach, uh, the director of one of the co-directors of the of John Wick. Um. Yeah, like it's 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 funny. Like, there's no shaky cam in this movie. However, I felt like the shaky cam fight scenes were easier to follow. Like, whenever it gets hand to hand in this movie, it's just cut so quickly. It's really hard to see what's going on. Which, despite you know that be the classic complaint for the Bourne series, it's more a complaint here for me where it's not even shaking. But uh. Overall, like, the way that scene is built and just the tension of like, going around the house and stalking each other. And there's this one amazing shot where Jeremy Renner comes out of the window in the basement, runs up the side of the wall, runs up another wall, into a window, and shoots uh, the, the agent like down the stairs. Like, it's all one shot going up the wall. And, like, that's a pretty pretty cool one. There's some, there's some cool stuff, the fire extinguisher and, sh- you know, shooting through the door, but... Overall, it's you know it's pretty decent, I think, but you know not not as memorable as anything in the previous films, but solid. Yeah, I there was nothing that aside from that shot, which is super cool. There's the just the feeling of movement with that camera as we're moving up is really cool. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, 
there wasn't really anything. I like the final moment of Re- like Renner in that in the closet, kind of waiting for the guy to be outside and then just unloading the gun. Uh, that was a cool bit. Uh, most of like the, just the action that I remember is pretty much contained to like the the foot chase on the rooftops later. Um, there's not there's not a whole lot of action outside of that that I just that feels noteworthy to me. Yeah, they really the, the Manila sequence. They're really trying to to be the you know, this movie's Tangier sequence, and there are some like Gilroy does some slick shots where like it'll cover multiple movements in one shot where like he'll jump off a roof, slide down, and get up, and keep running. And the the, the shot where he he jumps, slides down, balances on the wall, looks down, and then drops him in the alley. And he, this is a really cool shot of him tracking him as he slides down between the two walls and lands on the guard. I'm like this. And after that, one of the coolest moves ever where he grabs a guy's head and he bashes it on one wall, but because, like, there's, like, a foot and a half of, like, leeway in the alley, he hits his head on one wall and just, like, it bashes right on the other wall because it's it's brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a, a it's a cool moment. And the following cart slash motorcycle chase is pretty decent. I think they do a good job highlighting just the crazy Manila traffic and making that feel dangerous as they're going through vehicles. Um... I didn't feel that oh, like I feel like on the wider shots you get that but I had a lot of issues with continuity in this chase scene because I get why Renner's able to weave in and out because he's on the motorcycle but we'll we'll have these wider like the, these these shots that are pulled back and you see the traffic and it's a jam and then whenever we're with the guy he's still able to like in this car constantly move in this traffic like he's He's always he's that good. He's always driving, despite these constant shots that show that we are bumper to bumper <laughs> with no movement. Like it's it's two shots stitched together that are actively contradicting each other. There's no way for a car to move, which is why he's weaving in and out in this motorcycle. But then we'll just cut to being in the car with the guy chasing him, and he's st- like, you look out the window, and he is he's driving. There's, it makes no, like the, the chase to me just makes no sense because you can't highlight the traffic and then say, but he's still like, he's weaving in and out like, like a motorcycle, despite it's this big police car. I don't know. It just, yeah, yeah, it felt weird. And then the biggest crime this film does, in my opinion, is besides from not having a story and plot, is the ending. Like, it just ends. And the, like, Originally, when I first watched, I thought, I thought, okay, they, they ended this way because they had a sequel in mind. But listening to Gil, uh, Gilroy interviews, he's like completely open, like I'm done. Like I, this, is, as far as I know, I will never touch the board series again. I made my movie. I, made, you know, I tried to make the best movie I could now, and I'm, I'm, you know, I've done my bit. And if they make more movies, it, you know, I'm not involved. And so, like, I've had to like retroactively try to figure out what, like. So oh, okay. So the flashback while he was detoxing, that was Aaron Cross's more, you know, uh, his his emotional c- catharsis. Oh, and writing no more on the bathroom mirror, that was supposedly them <laughs> telling <laughs> off the CIA. That part was so cheesy. And now they're trying, and now they're on the boat, and they're gonna go off and have their born identity ending, where they go to Tahiti together and have a bike shop. Like, oh, I was like, oh, that wasn't setting up a sequel. He actually thought this was the resolution to the story. Wait, what? <laughs> Why is he the one saying no more? He's been complicit in every moral wrongdoing. There's no he more has... chasing us. I mean, I, I'm, I'm no longer chemically bound to you, so I'm free, I guess? 
I guess it's I it just it feels like there there should be no reason for this movie to differentiate morally its characters from Cross and the CIA stuff. He is not like he was actively involved. He was an assassin. The reason he's out is not for the same reason Bourne was. It's like, well, you're you're trying to kill me now, so for out of self-preservation, I'm on the run. But morally, there's no like, there's no differentiating yeah, I think, between I the think two. You no know more was just don't chase us. Well, if that's the case, then why is that a resolution at all? And there's the things like, like they they, they didn't do any like the reason the other born endings felt each and every film felt satisfied they could end the series there was because he brought it to the top he took out the guy or at least you know either blackmailed you know or forced you know, or forced into suicide like he he brought it to the top he exposed the corruption and he he was able to bring the bring the story at least to a stalemate at the end of each film but here there's like there, he, there's absolutely no dis like why I don't every every single sign that the movie's given us was that tomorrow Ed Norton and his team are still hunting Aaron Cross like nothing absolutely nothing has changed like logistically over over the, you know what a crappy situation Marta and Aaron are in like they're still hunting people like they, let's like, like it's like Let's get lost together. Well, you can't because you're still hunt- you still gonna be hunted down and killed. I don't think you understand the gravity of your situation. Yeah, like, so, like it doesn't. There's no. There's no. Not only is there's no character resolution, there's no plot resolution. Like they're still being chased, and or, not, or at least they should be by the rules of the film. And not only that, like it's it's funny that so they run this concurrently with Ultimatum uh, for the first fifteen minutes, Did but that then work they. For you? Do it. Did the constantly flashing back to you know clips or you know clips from Ultimatum or n- new sequences with Vosa and Atlanta? Did that work for you? Did that feel extraneous? It it worked for me at the beginning. Uh, I because it was doing something that I thought was really interesting. And like I guess if you have to do a spinoff, what could be cool is the the known quantity in terms of like other characters are there are there are other agents there are other people in Born situation and so. Using ultimatum to kind of kickstart this, I thought was an interesting idea. Like this idea that Bourne's actions have ripple effects. You know, other agents, people who are like him, are dead because of actions taken by him. So this idea that because he's taking the action to them and what he's doing, it's rippling out. It's affecting everybody, all of the other active agents here. And so I kind of I like that at the very beginning. But what made what was weird to me is not only does this not like thematically resolve itself or resolve its own plot, it then casts unnecessary doubt on the resolution of ultimatum because now we've got like we're we're in, like making the conscious decision to include moments uh, with Vozin where he's like, oh this was, this was only ever done to get born and honestly I don't know what Landy was up to I don't know her interest but honestly she's an enemy of the state and that's all I get. it's like wait so now like I, I guess Gilroy thought uh, Ultimatum's ending was just too upbeat and too hopeful <laughs> so he had to crash like nope nothing's changing that, that, that's the, what's crazy is like you get the idea that progress is made we've taken it to the top we've exposed things but now like we've just given it's not just a little like well maybe thing like I don't know maybe it will work out maybe it won't it's like no He's sitting there pretty confident in himself. Like, yes, 
this is she's blown this out of proportion. She's the one like this is uh, treason. It's treason on her part. And now we know like she's under all the scrutiny. It's like, wait a second. I was kind of like <laughs> satisfied before. And now not only have you introduced a new plot that you didn't resolve, but you unresolved the previous one. Yeah. Um, another complaint. This film is missing the, inter- the, uh, the information gathering montages. After the cabin is blown up, he just hops on a plane and flies back to the U.S. Whose plane is that? Where did that come from? Don't worry about and it. He gets back. He has a car full of you know, a sta- car full of things. And like, whose car is that? Where did that car come from? And like, and also he you know he gets to the car, and the next thing we see him, he's bursting out of a closet in Marta's house. How did he find out about her? That was, was the like, big thing. Like and, and when you watch the Born series, one thing I love, I really love about this most recent viewing is that. Every single step that is taken, every single piece of information born learns to lead to his next step of the journey. We see we have those scenes where he's in the, in the internet cafes, and we see the flashes, the names, the the addresses, the cities, or he's like sifting through, you know, papers. Like every step he takes, we are with him. We we get we we get and absorb the information for the next step he's taking. Whereas here, they like for the first the, the first act, he's just taking steps and going places where he really should have no like he he would have no absolutely no reason to know what Marta's address was. Like he has to go somewhere and find that information out. But the the, the film just doesn't bother to tell us. Like it's a, like a little thing most series wouldn't bother with it. But the Bourne series has established you know these beautiful montages where we learn this information and where it keeps us on our toes right next to where. That's the thing. Those three films are so perfectly paced. It's just there's a perfect flow. Every sequence leads to the next one, and they're really tight. This film, it just, it just, it had this scene, and then there's this scene, and then there's this scene for like the first hour. Like after that, once they get together, there's sort of like, okay, we got to go to Manila. There's like, there's a trajectory, there's a through line. We know what they're doing, but the first half of the film. It's just scenes that happen one after the other. There's really no plot. There's no, you know, forward driving narrative. Yeah, that was weird. Whenever I was watching it, and you know, they're there and they're about to kill Marta, and then he bursts in. I thought, oh, I, I accidentally missed something, and so I paused it and pulled up Wikipedia to read through the synopsis. And I, I, I there was no reference to how he got. I was like, okay, well, let me rewind it. So I went back. And there's there's no like I I genuinely thought that I missed a piece a piece of information because we went from him being like. Well, I guess they're after me to, well, I'm now rescuing Marta, this part. Like, I'm somehow here at the most convenient, like, the most conveniently timed way ever. It's, it made no sense. Like, how, mm-hmm. yeah, so it, it was to the point of where I, I actively thought that I missed a piece of information and I've got to go find out where it was instead of, oh, no, that he's, he's there. You know, this, he just, he knew to get there. Yeah. Okay, two final complaints. One... <laughs> Uh, we we probably should have started with this, but chems and superhuman people. This is sci-fi. It's not born. The entire premise of born is this really you know, realistic, grounded. Like it feels possible. It feels of this world. Like there's, no, you know, he does crazy things, but it always feels possible. This is like this is not a bad story in itself, but it's just not born. Yeah, um, they're like out here with what is almost like you know super soldier serum. Yeah, and the other one is there's no boss battle. He has to punch the Larks guy. That, that, that's the rules. 
I feel like Randy over there. Very specific rules that you have to have in a born film. Uh, Randy from Scream. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like they, they 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 do so many of the the the, the born beats. You know, they have the guys in the control room. You know, searching for born. Oh, that, that was me. Okay, a praise. I did like the sequence where they're they're catching up to seventeen hours from where like from leaving Marta's farmhouse to Manila, where it's like a five minute sequence of them in there. Catch slowly pacing together information. Oh, like we this picture on the road, this satellite, this this ticket stuff, this this glimpse of security footage. Really, they walk us through like yeah. uh, I, getting you know catching up to Manila. I liked that moment, and there was a moment that I I really liked within that sequence where Norton is like, "We need eyes on. Like, why aren't we seeing live footage? Why like what's going on?" And it's like, "This is Maryland. It's, we're not. It's oh. not. It's not like we're over Iraq or like we don't." It's going to be a long time before we can get eyes on this. And the fact that it was like a Canadian nature uh, like satellite, that was cool. The idea that we're almost, we're, we have fewer resources because this is domestic was an idea that I liked a lot. Also, there was when he was like, a, hey, how do we get this image on this screen to the big screen? Like, you got to get the text in here to send your text support to figure that out. Like, it felt like as I work in video production, I've done like live streams and like, yeah, but that's what it's like. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, how do we do this and get the guys in here to do that? Uh, that was funny. And that was a moment that did stick out to me. Yeah, but going, like, going yeah. back to like, they brought in the Uber agents. You have to have a fist fight. Like, that's a boring thing. It's a tradition. You can't break tradition. Uh, that was something that didn't work for me as well, though, was like with the other ones, you've got, first of all, you've got like more memorable actors. And it's not a knock on this guy. He just didn't have anything to do. But the other guys, there was like it's like with Carl Urban, you know, he's introduced pretty early on. He's almost like the 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 Terminator, like this just relentless force. And this guy is relentless when he's introduced. But it was the most conveniently like new plot point ever. We're like, whoa, well, fortunately, we've got this one guy that we haven't told to kill himself yet. Because he's large, he's a different program. That, like, that made no sense. This whole everything. I, I, this okay. This is a new complaint that I didn't come in with because I'm only just now thinking it through. Because I'm the one defending. Like, no, I like the idea that Norton is the guy who's brave enough to say burn everything, every person who has a name on any of this. And then we're like, well, we actually got this Lark's guy that we didn't tell to kill him. So, like, it's. Oh great! Because you need because you need the like the like the boss thing, and then you don't even capitalize on that. You just do the chasing, but you don't have the fight scene. So it's just like the idea that we're in our third act and we're just now being introduced to this guy yeah. who technically should have been dead by this point. If if their motivations are going to be consistent, it just makes no sense. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've I've gone through all my you know my my meager praises and my com general complaints. I guess just going back to Gilroy's direction. Um, it's a very competently directed movie. I like I like the look. Like it's like high contrast, slightly oversaturated. Like it's a very two thousands look that I like. And there's a, the, the, the kind of harsh lighting, a lot of silhouettes, a lot of shadow. It it's it's a, it's just a visual style that I very much like. Um, it's you know it's it's all it's all very competently directed. There's, there's a lot of really cool. Like wide shots, and he he moved like he moves the camera in action. And interesting, or you know him and Dad Dan Bradley together, they, they do they do. It's all well made. Like that's the thing. Like this movie is is frustrating because it's like nothing of a movie, but it's also 
it's watchable. It's not, it's like, it's not offensive. It's not, it's not all that bothersome in the context. Like when you, it's just like, it ends like, oh wait, that was the movie. Like I was having, I was kind of having fun watching it, but, but you, but like, but you were supposed to give me a little, little more. Like it's like, it's frustrating in hindsight, but it's, it's decent to watch in the moment. Yeah. Like I, I did enjoy, uh, the visuals of it. There was, there was a lot of moments where I was like, oh, that, that looks nice. I, I love whenever they're in the factory and you've got like all of the blues and yellows of the, the manufacturing plant. Mm-hmm. Like just walking up on the catwalks and looking down at this this big uh, production plant with all of like these very bright colors and contrast. Like it, it looks nice. And all, all the photography in Alberta at the at the training site, it was gorgeous. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so you got ready to just do your star rating and ranking? Yeah. Uh, so for me, I give this two and a half out of five. Like like you said, it's watchable. It's not offensive. I don't outright dislike it. But in in other bad movies that I give like two and a half or, or even below, like with a lot of them, there's at least this idea of, well, you tried to say this. I just thought you did it really poorly. And this really does just feel like nothing of a movie. Never where, try, never fail. There you go. Only you did at least try to make a movie, and you, you kind of failed to make a movie because there's not there's not an arc, there's not a growth, there's no like there's just nothing. The only thing to resolve is these plot points that you've designed yourself, which aren't even an endpoint in and of themselves. So it's like it's not about anything. It's not about anyone. It's just. A series of events that happened and then what was almost comedic was whenever she's like let's get lost and he folds it up and you've got the born music and i'm like what do you i just want to stop and be like movie what do you think you just said what what do you think you <laughs> are, just are they did? supposed to be in a romance now i guess it's, like it felt like it's good we, to know in the final shot of the movie we've reached this last moment and then it's got this like this born music I'm like what you, nothing cool happened you didn't do anything cool you didn't say you anything you didn't cool. earn that music yeah oh uh, yeah so I also give it two and a half out of five it is like a complete neutral movie there are there will always be some sequences that, you know, that stick out in my memory that I you know I want to go back occasionally and watch and so it, it, it's all it's like it's all very competently made but it's nothing <laughs> So it's the complete average, 2.5. Uh, as far as my ranking for the series, I'll get your ranking. Uh, so it is Ultimatum, Identity, Supremacy, Legacy. Uh, for me, it is Identity, Ultimatum, Supremacy, Legacy. Um, so moving to the uh, box office and the reception, and 162 million in the foreign markets for a worldwide total of 276 million on its 125 million budget. Um, so it... it it might have, it probably broke even, um, but it would have been close. Like it wouldn't have been terribly profitable. Uh, it stands all the way at the bottom of the series I messed domestically, and it's only higher than the Born Identity internationally. It's it's really low, and like it did not make much money comparison. Like comparison, especially to Ultimatum. As far as reviews, um, it got very middling reviews. It holds a fifty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes and a sixty one on Metacritic. Uh, the audience ratings are around six out of ten on various sites that I looked at. Like, there's, it's again, most people I think feel kind of like we do. Like, I don't see a lot of people calling it terrible. It's just it felt a very, a very lukewarm. Like, hey, it's it's, it's well made, but it doesn't it doesn't add up to much. Like, it's kind of kind of a waste. Um, I I get to really 
use my... There's already a, a legacy of the Born series joke that I've been <laughs> uh, setting up. And, I mean, really, that is a joke. It's, you know, this is the Born legacy. What, what is the legacy of Born legacy? And it is almost nothing. There's almost Although, no legacy to this. The only, the only thing I see it brought up in, like, the only conversations is... Like, if Jeremy Renner is brought up, this is the movie that gets like, oh, you remember whenever, like, the whole let's take over a phase with Jer- or like a, a series with Jeremy Renner? Like, uh-huh. you remember when that was going on? Which gives it a slight edge on Jason Bourne. Like, <laughs> this film might have a bigger like yeah. to than Jason Bourne, but only because it's a footnote in the curious case of Jeremy Renner. Yeah. Um, otherwise, nobody cares. Yeah. Um, I guess it, it, it stands as one of the, I guess, it's a cautionary tale in Hollywood at large of trying of trying to spin off a series, you know, doing the same thing just with a different actor. It's gonna be it's it's probably forever going to be a classic cautionary tale in that regard, yeah. um, which is not where you want to be <laughs> as a movie. Hey, if you can't be a success, at least be a cautionary tale. <laughs> All right, so that was our review of the Born Legacy. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did. Again, I'd like to ask you to please uh, take a moment to give us a rating review on, on iTunes. Uh, like us on Facebook, where there's Franchise Week Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram as at FranchisePod. And you can find all the other episodes at FranchiseWeekPodcast.com. And where can people follow you, James? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd. I am there as JL Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. You can also find the both of us as admins over on The Outer Room, a Star Wars group over on Facebook. Uh, we're going to have a lot of uh, exciting things happening over there, especially with the release of Mandalorian Season 2. So if you like Star Wars and you like talking about it, feel free to join us over there. I'm also on Letterboxd, and there's Gabriel Green. You can find me on Instagram as Gabe's Great Green, and I have a YouTube channel called Greenery01, where I put together these uh, movie-based music videos and uh, trailer mashups and whatnot. Um, so next episode is going to be on the, well, at the time, much-anticipated sequel, Jason Bourne, which also does not exist <laughs> i feel like does anyone talk about this movie i don't think so um yeah so another uh maybe i, I hope there's hope that at least there's some equal frustrations where we can vent a bit otherwise it's going to be a pretty dull review yeah it's weird i i remember seeing the teaser during the super bowl and that is literally my own like that is people the, were looking forward to this movie I, that's the thing my the only Part of my brain that has anything reserved for like memory of Jason Bourne is this TV, like this spot, this 20 second spot during the Super Bowl that he a lot of people that got to. It's so like, cool. That's like, I remember a lot of excitement, but I don't remember anything after that. I don't even remember the movie coming out and like being middling. <laughs> I just, I remember it, like, it's like it was never released for me in my head. I, I hear nothing. I saw it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers for our review <laughs> next week. Alright, so until next week, we will see you in the disappointing single.